Hey, remember me? Alex Kapitko here, and it's the Centered from Reality podcast. And today, February 2nd, and yeah, it's Groundhog Day. I woke up this morning kind of dreary, and I'm going, you know, I'm kind of ready for spring. Guess what? Most groundhogs around the U.S. saw their shadows. So guess what? We get another six weeks of winter, and it does seem like we're just in a time loop. And of course, this is a political podcast, so I can relate the time loop to many things. But I guess you could say the one that really comes to my head is, of course, excuse me, is, of course, our buddy Donald Trump. What I mean here is, again, I hear all these people being optimistic, saying, oh, look, Nikki Haley's going to win. Maybe she can take him down. Oh, DeSantis looks like he's going to beat him. He's up in the polls right now. Oh, Trump is too crazy. People are moving on. It seems like Groundhog Day again, all the way back to 2015, when people are like, oh, he couldn't win, Ted Cruz will beat him, or Scott Walker, who ended up completely collapsing, will beat him. And look, Trump obviously doesn't have the same energy as 2016, but it's looking to me so far like it's going to be a crowded field, and poll after poll show that Trump still has that always Trump base, which is the antithesis of me, the never Trump base, and... This group is not going to budge. And so what happens if you have like Mike Pompeo with 0.05% of the vote and Nikki Haley with 1% and what's his name? Uh, Tim Scott with 3% and DeSantis with like 25 or whatever, 30. It's going to get crowded and complicated. And if Trump can just keep that 30%, look, he might be back. And again, Nikki Haley is looking to announce. I don't know if she's announced yet. I don't think she has officially. But, you know, she's running, but then she's also said, oh, Trump was a great president. I loved working with him. It's like you can't have your cake and want to eat it too here. I'm just seeing Groundhog Day to 2016 all over again. But anyways, moving on, I don't want to talk too much about Trump today. I do want to put on my tinfoil hat for a minute, sticking on Groundhog Day for just a second. We're not going to go too far down this rabbit hole. But according to numerous reports, it was actually if you type in Groundhog Day on the internet, at least when I was preparing for this, It's kind of the only thing you can find. Anyways, one groundhog died, like, right before predicting the end of winter. Hmm. Interesting, right? Business Insider writes here, Quebec's beloved groundhog, Fred Lamarmont, died just before he could predict when winter will end at Canadian City's Groundhog Day celebration. (laughs) Is this a warning sign? A harbinger of things to come? Something dangerous? I'm kidding, but, you know, it is weird the groundhog died right before he was supposed to predict it, but obviously we have more important things to talk about, so I will move on. I do want to do a speed round to start this off with kind of just taking a little tour around what happened in the last 24 hours. I want to just go through the politics, the craziness, so we'll start with that. Then I want to get into my thoughts on chat GPT, which is kind of the big hype right now, and I want to talk about Sort of why I think it might actually make academia kind of more of a pain. I'm not one of the people who's really supportive of it at this time. Then I want to talk about Kevin McCarthy and Joe Biden's meeting. And then some interesting reports out of Haiti involving gangs slowly taking pretty much power. And this does happen in some statecraft around the world where gangs basically get a monopoly on violence and eventually become the government. So I'll talk about that. But First, I really, 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 really need to place 
us into what happened last night on Jimmy Kimmel's Tonight Show or whatever it's called. I don't actually watch it, but (laughs) I need to play a few clips from one of the segments last night because it honestly may be the best thing I've seen in a very long time. And before I play the clips, I'm probably going to do three clips, so bear with me. It'll be a couple minutes. Basically what happened is Jimmy Kimmel had on Mike Lindell, the embattled CEO of MyPillow, the gem of us of our generations here. And it's an excellent thing. It's cringy and hilarious and just amazing all in one package. And a little refresher, Mike Lindell, who does not like voting machines or other machines maybe, He's basically doing this interview with Jimmy Kimmel from inside of one of those toy claw machines from Dave and Buster's, and it's amazing. I just can't believe they got Lindell to do this, to be completely honest, but it does show me that this guy is one of those true believers. He's not like the grifter like Trump or Giuliani. Like, this guy believes it, and it's amazing, so let's watch, and then I'll maybe say a few things afterwards. Colorful, unhinged characters who've come to prominence in the political era of Donald Trump. Our next guest is probably the most enthusiastic to help him overcome his debilitating fear of machines. We have installed him inside a claw machine for his interview tonight. And joining us now from the corner of Donkey Kong and Qbert, the My Pillow guy, Mike Lindell. Hello, Mike. Jimmy Crumble, is that you? It's me. <laughs> well, Mike. First question, Mike, is why do you think people don't take you seriously? Well, you know, I want to tell you this, Jimmy. Remember when we were kids and uh, we questioned these carnival games, whether they were rigged or not? Yeah, right. But But when we spoke up back then, we didn't get sued, did we? No, that's right. Hey, Mike, get rid of that kid. Will you give him a toy or something like that? There you go. You got a winner. It's a rigged game. It's a rigged game. It's a rigged game. (laughs) Mike, I know that you're distrustful of machines. Now that you're inside one, do you feel differently? No, same thing. There's, there are computers can be rigged out there, yeah, absolutely, in elections. You know that. Did you ask Donald Trump uh, whether you should do this or not? Do you run this sort of thing by him? No, I didn't, Jimmy. I did this all on my own. I wanted to be on your show. You you, you know, you kept telling me to come on, but you you know, I seen the monologue there. You said it's because to put me in here because I was, wasn't vaccinated. You tricked me. You did it to be funny, huh? No, I didn't. No, I didn't want you in there because you weren't vaccinated. I don't know. (laughs) To be honest, I don't even remember why I decided you should be in there. No, you said it on your show. It seemed like a good idea when it happened. I have to say, I was very surprised when you said you would do it. But you know, I put it out there, and so you said yes. So you know, I'm honoring that commitment that I made on the air. (laughs) So I mean, uh, I'm going to do a little bit more of this in a moment, but I just had to stop it for a moment and say, like. Holy shit, like, they covered so many things in this, from machines to the vaccine to Mike Lindell. Like, for those who weren't watching, um, at the bottom, it's actually even marketing his Lindell TV thing, except, like, they've added captions, like, why the hell did this guy do this? We're going to keep him in the box. All this stuff. And then you have, like, kids playing on the arcade games around him. It is just, like, I don't even think this guy understands how much of a joke he is. But anyways, we'll continue here. You distrust machines. Um, does that is can does that extend to like sewing machines? Uh, yeah. Tell me, like, are what about ice machines? Are you okay with those? Jimmy, I, you know what? I'm okay. You know, you can you can make fun of that, but we know the machines I'm talking about are voting machines, computers used in elections because we want to have elections and not selections. So not like the George Foreman lean mean grilling machine would not be on your list of things to melt down and make into prison bars. No, no, just the voting machines. We got enough of them to melt down into prison bars. Now, now this is one of my favorite things. Sorry, interrupting again. 
he had a tweet a while back that said we're going to melt all the machines into prison bars and then lock up all the election machine people. Oh, it was so good. Like, oh, man, this guy is this guy is almost like I wish he had a stand up routine or something. And you will not let go of this voting thing, will you? Never. I want to save. I want to help save our country. And I love our country. I love the people in our country. And uh, we've got to get rid of the computers in our in our elections. Mike, I have to tell you, and I mean this sincerely, I believe that you that you believe this stuff. I believe that you are really convinced that, that I mean, I, the evidence that you presented is nonsensical. But I do believe that that you are convinced that there is some kind of a conspiracy or malfunction or whatever the case may be. I don't believe that Donald Trump believes that. I think Donald Trump is lying when he says he thinks the election was rigged. I think uh, Giuliani is lying when he says it. I think Kerry Lake is lying. I think for them, these are just excuses <laughs> for losing an election. Now, I actually think uh, Jimmy Kimmel brings up a pretty interesting point here. For most people, it's just excuses about losing an election, right? But in the case of our good friend Mike Lindell, he is one of the grifted. He's not a grifter. Like, I didn't play the whole thing, but after that segment I just showed you, Lindell then goes on a very long rant about all the evidence, and it just seems like he's exactly the guy who fell for Trump's bullshit. And it's it's almost sad in a sense. Like, I hate to say sad, but it's just like, dude, you are exactly the person that fell for all these grifts that Trump created. And it just shows that there's kind of two types of people in this whole madness. But also it shows me that there is like a disturbing actual election denialism that leads to autocracy. And that's what Trump and them wanted to do. One more clip. You see that you see that little girl with the show that little girl with the overalls on? That's our cyber guy. How much has this crusade cost you personally, Mike? Uh, over forty million, and that's counting building your great network you watch all the time, Jimmy Lindell right. TV. That's part of the cost. I'm your number one fan. Yes, that's you for are. sure. There's no question about that. You, uh, your my pillows used to be in Costco. They used to be in Walmart. They used to be in Hello. Macy's, Bed Bath. And Anyways, uh, <laughs> I'll stop there. But look, I'm just going to admit this right now. I kind of like Mike Lindell. And I also kind of have a lot of respect for Jimmy Kimmel because I don't see like a Stephen Colbert or like a Seth Meyers. Is Seth Meyers even around? I don't see his clips anymore. But anyways, I don't see one of those guys like having the guts or the balls or whatever you want to say to actually do this. And I kind of love it. It's, it's, it's just kind of amazing. So good God, that is amazing. Uh, I, I kind of pity Mike Lindell. I really do. I kind of feel bad for the guy. I find him entertaining. He seems likable. And it sucks because then you hear about just all the crazy shit he says and you're just like, this guy has some problems. But anyways, we will move on. Enough time. We've already spent way too much time on that. But I just woke up this morning and saw that and I couldn't stop laughing. So I just had to share it with you guys. So the next thing I want to do, getting a little more serious. We had to start with a nice little segment on that. But anyways, the next thing I want to do is talk about Elon Omar really quickly because they've been talking about pulling her off the Foreign Affairs Committee, for a long time. Mainly out of revenge, also out of a reaction to her comments, which were bad. Look, like, she said some things that I would definitely say were anti-Semitic, though she has apologized. But, you know, then last year you had Democrats take off Paul Gosar, Marjorie Taylor Greene from committees, and so I think it's a little bit of retribution here, but the Republicans are saying it's because of anti-Semitism. 
Anyways, the Wall Street Journal notes here in quotes, House Republicans ousted Democratic Representative Elon Omar from her position on the Foreign Affairs Committee in a vote Thursday. They cited her criticisms of Israel's government and past statements that were criticized as anti-Semitic. I am not even going to delve into her comments and whether they're anti-Semitic or not. I think her thing, it's all about the Benjamins, could be interpreted in two ways. One way, her saying we only defend Israel and like Israel because of the money. The other way it could be interpreted is that our relationship with the Netanyahu government is only about money. I'll let you guys interpret that. I think there's arguments in both ways. I do think that she has said some things that are distasteful. I do. Um, I think she is one of these kind of progressive leftists who does seem to look at our relationship with Israel only under the guise of money and power. And she seems to lack the insight about why we protect Israel and why we work with Israel. And that being said, she actually has apologized. I don't think she's a bad person, but also her background, life experience and political ideologies are very different from mine, very different from a lot of people. And I think they've probably guided her in that way. So anyways, I also don't like how she's now saying they're doing this to her because she's a black Muslim. Maybe part of it's that, but I also think it's because she's a very leftist who has condemned Israel's government, and she's an easy target because of that. Maybe some of it's racism, but I think it's more the, the earlier thing I said. Anyways, that being said, there's so, many, there's so much hypocrisy here by Republicans. I thought they were against canceling people. They sure are good at it when they want to. It just seems like Kevin McCarthy's term as speaker is just getting back at Democrats, not actually helping the American people. I'll go over later some of the votes that actually took place today and also some of the committee meetings and just some of the general affairs that have happened on the taxpayer's dime because none of it's helping people, especially on the Republican side. But anyways, there's also more irony. Can you guys see it? It's pretty ironic that Marjorie Taylor Greene is now back on multiple committees and is a rock star in the Republican Party. And she's said much more anti-Semitic shit, shit than Omar, I think. You know, Jewish space lasers, Holocaust denialism, comparing mask, as she called it, to the Holocaust. She's much more of, a tro of an atrocious person, okay? And she's on committees. So if the Republicans just want to be fair, like Kevin McCarthy's bullshit words say then they would also probably take off people like Marjorie Taylor Greene. But they're not because she's a Republican and she's important to the base that McCarthy is sucking up to. Also, here's another irony. It's pretty crazy and ironic and insane that George Santos, the guy who lied about being Jewish, said his grandma died in the Holocaust, and even made up fake Jewish names to lie to the community when he needed money from them, he's likely the deciding vote on kicking Omar off her committee. <laughs> and this vote was on the grounds of anti-Semitism, when I can't really think of a more anti-Semitic person than George Santos, just because he's, he's propping up the Jewish faith for his own good. You just can't write this shit. You really can't. Like, this feels almost Orwellian, Kafka-esque, and SNL if you put him into a blender and tried to see what happened next. So, fun stuff. The final thing, speaking of Congress, that I want to touch on, the chaos in the House, which I guess all of this kind of goes into one segment anyways, the chaos in the House. We're just doing a little trip through it. But anyways, oh God, 
I, I've had some epiphanies lately about how the GOP members are just so unpalatable. I was on a run today, and I was listening to people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates hold hearings. And boy, these people are stupid. And boy, they're annoying. And boy, they're just so hypocritical. For example, Marjorie Taylor Greene, they were running basically an investigation into COVID funds, COVID bailouts, and they were they were assuming that a lot of COVID funds went to CRT, critical race theory in schools. No evidence that that's happened, especially in elementary schools, is there. But anyways, she, <laughs> I love this one. She first off had a very unique definition for CRT. She said something to the effect of like, it's a racist teaching that teaches that black people are superior to white people and white people are the inferiors. <laughs> I mean, you can have your debates about like the 1619 Project and Hannah Nicole Jones and all that chaos because I'm pretty against like all the, all the, all the like 1619 stuff because I still don't, I haven't seen enough evidence that America started, be, like, the, like the Revolutionary War was because of slavery. Look, in the country started in 1619. I think that's part of it, but I don't think that's really the case. So anyways, we could debate that, but I've never heard that CRT is teaching that black people are superior to white people. I think that's pretty insane. I think that's pretty insane, especially considering the history of this country. But anyways, then she went on to say that $5 billion of COVID relief funds went to one school in, in Illinois, an elementary school in Illinois, that was teaching CRT. I <laughs> One school, $5 billion. That's pretty impressive. Like, God, that school must be state-of-the-art. I mean, can you imagine what $5 billion would do for one school? Like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm just taking pulling this out of nowhere, but I would assume, like, a whole, like, district or county's or even a state budget would be $5 billion for, the edu- for, for like, education sector stuff, for public education. So, like, hearing her ask these questions, it's just like, God, this gal is not bright. Then you had Matt Gates, who was proposing a new bill that would make everyone do the Pledge of Allegiance in Congress before starting a hearing or starting whatever the hell they do these days, which is not much. And <laughs> it's just ironic that these guys, you know, want to swear loyalty to the country in Congress and talk about being patriots and the Constitution when, you know, Matt Gates was one of the ones who was okay with what happened on January 6th. He's downplayed it. So anyways... Long story short, I was on a run today, I listened to all these things, and after hearing all of this stupidity, I actually then listened to AOC, who was doing a hearing on government misspending during COVID, and I have to admit that I had this epiphany that I'm like, God, she doesn't annoy me as much anymore. It's not because I like her politics, because I don't, but it's because everyone else around her on the other side is so much crazier that she seems like quite smart and compassionate and driven. And again, I don't agree with much of anything she says, but I'm going like, at least she's prepared and knows what she's talking about and has a point and she's calling out the hypocrisy on the right. And my brain just kind of exploded because I'm like, good God, what has happened to me? But the right has lost its mind and the left is actually a little bit more sane than they've been in a long time. And you can, you can quote me saying that because I think it's true. Even if I don't politically always agree with the left, they are showing more compassion, restraint, and the willingness to actually do things, which you don't see on the right. And it's kind of insane to me. Anyways, I wanted to spend a few more minutes kind of expanding out or zooming out. Sorry, I can't speak English apparently. To talk about the first meeting 
that happened yesterday between McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy, the lovely speaker, and Joe Biden. And they met to discuss how to avoid <laughs> the U.S. on the debt, or sorry, the default on the U.S. debt problem, which is kind of a big deal, and it's definitely looming. And, of course, this is going to surprise no one. The two did not come away with any solutions or agreements. McCarthy said, I forget if it was in an interview or online, he said, no agreements, no promises. And, by the way, this guy is so dull. Like, it actually makes me impressed with, like, the Josh Hawleys and the Newt Gingrich types and the Lauren Boberts and the Marjorie Taylor Greens because they're kind of good at what they do if you don't even if you don't like them but like McCarthy's just bad at all of this but anyways we had to, we have to remember here that McCarthy had to win over a lot of the super conservative parts of his caucus to get the speakership and he agreed that raising the debt ceiling would come with a lot of spending cuts again this is like trying to challenge your credit card bill a year after it's due they're not going to let you do it. You dispute it before. <laughs> Maybe you just don't make the purchases, right? So I could I could definitely entertain the idea of making cuts for future issues, but I think they mix up these two a lot. But anyways, I'm not going to repeat all this again, but I don't think the Republicans in the House really get this. And I also don't know if Democrats always do because they just like to spend. I don't know if the government is always as efficacious as they think. But anyways, I should also note that I do agree with Democrats on one thing in particular, and they point out that Republican lawmakers had no issue lifting the debt ceiling three different times under former President Trump. And also Democrats argue that the health of the economy should not be used as a bargaining chip, and that I agree on full throttle. I think it's close to like 23, 24% of our entire debt in all of history came during Trump's four years, and he wasn't even a two-term president. So it is kind of funny that Republicans now care. But of course, it's politics. It's Biden. They did this with Obama. Though I will say, of course, the Democrats had the House for four years, right? From what, 2018 to 2022, so, of course, it wasn't just Republicans. Like, both parties are complicit in this just constant debt issue. But I, I just don't buy the argument that Republicans are like, oh, well, Democrats controlled the House, so, you know, it's not our fault. It's like, no, a lot of Republicans are responsible for this. And even Chip Moore I saw tonight was on PBS NewsHour, and he even said that. He's like, a lot of my colleagues voted to raise the debt ceiling multiple times. And he's like, I am truly against it. So... At least he's honest about it. I don't agree with everything he says, but look, if you're for it, you're for it. But the hypocrisy of a lot of Republicans in Congress is pretty showing. Now, sticking to the debt, entitlements, discretionary spending type of issues, I also wanted to just touch on Social Security and kind of clear up some rhetoric that a lot of Republicans have around strengthening Social Security. That's a term we've been hearing a lot lately, especially from House Speaker McCarthy, strengthening Social Security. And he said that all, like, I think he was called out on Sunday asking why they want to cut Social Security, and his answer was some mumbo-jumbo garbage. But he said, no, we are, we are not trying to cut Social Security. All we want to do is strengthen it. And that sounds good. Unfortunately, though, it's total bullshit, and it's a lie. Or it's not even a lie. A lie is not the right way to put it. It's a rhetorical pretzel. And what I mean is that a lot of Americans assume 
that this means that when you're strengthening Social Security, you want to make it more efficient. And you want to get payments to people who have been paying into the system for most of their lives. Obviously, it varies based on how much they paid in, income, etc. But that's a whole other conversation. But in reality, strengthening Social Security is really just another term for cutting Social Security, drastically cutting monthly payments to eligible Americans because the money's running out. And you're strengthening the program because you're cutting the amount that's being put out, so you're bringing it back to solvency. So technically, it is strengthening the program because it's not going to be just a broken program, but also you're now not delivering on this promise to a lot of Americans who have paid into it. So it's like if you're cutting payments by half, maybe Social Security is stronger and it's going to last longer, but then the thing is, is like, What's, what's the population going to think about that? What are all the people that have been depending on this or waiting for this program for a long time, right? And there is something different about this from providing the service to everyone at the same level that people are getting now. And I just wanted to bring that up because I think people need to be aware that Republicans want to strengthen the program by just cutting the shit out of it. And... Now, I do understand, though, that Social Security is kind of a ticking time bomb here because according to the Social Security Administration's most recent projections, the Social Security Trust Fund is expected to run out of reserve funds in 2035. And after that, if no changes are made, the Social Security Trust Fund would only be able to pay out a proportion of benefits to recipients. And of course, this is only a prediction it's impacted by a variety of factors, economic growth, demographic changes, legislation, blah, blah, blah. But it's a serious issue. And to be completely honest, and it might not be a popular opinion with some of my listeners, but I don't particularly think that like the Paul Ryans and the Republicans were wrong talking about how we need to cut Social Security spending. Sorry if, if, if you don't like me saying that, but it does seem like it's a ticking time bomb that we don't have any tangible solutions to. My only issue is that the Republicans now are saying they're strengthening it which is just a completely bullshit lie and a rhetorical pretzel. So it's a serious issue. I will not pretend to tell you how we need to solve it. I don't know if we will solve it. I'm pretty glass half empty or kind of just glass was poured out a while ago on it. So it's just going to be interesting to see, though, going full circle back to the starting of this segment is it's going to be interesting to see if Biden and McCarthy have an interesting relationship. Do they have a good working relationship? I kind of hope so, and I'm not a McCarthy fan. You guys can probably get that by now from me, but I, I do hope for the sake of the country that they can have a working relationship because in history, it's been very important for the speaker and the president to at least be on terms where they can find some sort of compromise, and that has not gone as well over the last decade, but even Obama and Boehner tried to work together. I think I think at the time Boehner got a lot of shit, but I, I read his book and I've, I read Bob Woodward's book on the Obama presidency, and it, it does seem like Boehner was just the wrong guy at the wrong time. So I hope McCarthy, again, Boehner's smarter than McCarthy. Pretty much every other speaker I can think of has been smarter than McCarthy. So good luck, my friend. Now, moving on, this is totally different. I want to talk about ChatGPT. Breaking Points, which is a great podcast, has been talking about this for a while. 
you know, some people say AI is slowly taking over everything. Others say this will kind of revolutionize administrative work or data collection for certain medical professionals, whatnot. There are concerns about plagiarism. You hear about college students just putting in an idea and it writes them a paper, blah, blah, blah. I finally decided to check out ChatGPT. It's it's an interesting platform. I have an account now. I spent about an hour this morning uh, when I was drinking my coffee just checking it out. It's an interesting platform to generate Word documents, get quick information, and just kind of explore how an algorithm-based intelligence form talks to you. And... I will just say right off the bat, it does not seem to me to come close to any form of sentience as we know sentience. I asked it a lot of different questions, and its answers were good on some of them, but others showed me there's no sentience. I asked it how it was, for example, and it said I am merely a chat research database or something to that effect. I can't tell you how I am. So it still doesn't know how it feels, which is good news for me who's a little who doesn't really want the, the computers to do that. It also could not tell me where the current coldest place on Earth was. It, I guess, can't provide information right now, which was kind of an interesting thing that I picked up from it. I was assuming it could just like find any information throughout the Internet and then get back to you. But, it's, but it, at least my understanding of it is it looked like it could go through historic trends, encyclopedias, databases, etc., and tell you like records. So I asked, where's the coldest place on Earth right now? And it said, I can't do that, but I can provide you a list of information about record cold places. It said there was some place in Siberia that has that is the coldest living place on record, and Antarctica usually has the coldest temperatures, period. So I thought that was interesting. Now, I, it knows enough about Bill Maher that I actually asked it to write a monologue that Bill Maher would put out for real time. I'll admit it was kind of a shitty monologue. It, it didn't really seem like something Bill Maher would say. But then at the same time, it also understood enough about Bill Maher as a person that it did talk about stuff that he talks about. For ex- like, I took a screenshot of it, and it's, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Real Time. You know I've been following the news lately, and it's become increasingly clear to me that we're living in the age of misinformation. Then he talks about alternative facts. Later it says, It's enough to make my head spin, but here's the thing, folks. The truth still matters. We, we may not always agree on what it is, but it's our duty as citizens to seek it out, to question what we're told, and to fight against the forces of ignorance and deception. Now, some of you are out there thinking, Bill, you're just a comedian. Why do you care so much about the truth? Well, tell me. Well, let me tell you, friends. I care because without the truth, we don't exist. Anyways, Bill Maher would never say that on a show. I watch real time every week. Trust me. But it was enough... It understood enough of Bill Maher to put out something that like kind of made sense. Like, Bill Maher is all about you know, anti-woke, let's, let's, let's just get through the bullshit and talk about what's going on. And it was just kind of interesting to see that. So anyways, I saw this morning that ChatGPT is going to offer a version of its online chatbot for a monthly fee, which will be interesting, probably popular, I would assume. And it also looks like Microsoft is going to use the bot to, I guess, simplify its Teams messaging app. For my, because I've used Teams with a few different jobs and... From my understanding, probably what they'd want to do with it is just have like it be able to automate certain messaging so you don't have to be like watching it all day. I'm assuming down the road, ChatGPT could also be really good for emails. 
so you don't have to spend all day like checking your emails. It can just respond to people. Of course, there's questions about like, does it respond correctly? Like, what does that do to administrative jobs? Blah, blah, blah. But it is interesting to think about. I think I think the generic conversations and automated messaging would be good, but then you do have to just kind of like question like how far would it go? Anyways, that being said, I am one of the people who's not sure if I really like how quickly this is going. Not because I think robots are taking over, so don't worry, that's not why. I don't think a cybernet is coming out of ChatGBT. We're not going to have the Terminator coming after us. Anything like that, so don't worry. I just think it might change how different organizations work in a negative way. I feel like I feel like in a certain sense a artificial intelligence, which I don't even know if this is totally that. I do think it could spare us work or effort, but what will it do for other tasks? And there's a great article in the Atlantic I was reading this morning that alludes to this as well. And it talks about something kind of interesting. And earlier I was talking about how plagiarism is a big issue on college campuses, like teachers, parents all alike are worried about students basically just using ChatGBT to write papers. And so this was not an issue a year ago. But now all of a sudden, it's a big issue. And so this Atlantic article talks about how it seems like ChatGPT is providing a service to help solve a problem that it's created. So to give some background on this, OpenAI is the company that made ChatGPT. And of course, it's introduced a new set of tools that will help you determine the likelihood that a text is generated by AI. So it's the AI that they created that can write stuff that is now policing to see if the stuff it can write is being written by the thing it created. Sorry, that's a huge pretzel of things, but it's true. This is almost like, what's it called? Um, uh, Turnitin.com. This is almost like a Turnitin.com, but it's made by the company that made the thing that disrupted how we do things. <laughs> and... There is something interesting here. So in the article by Bogost in The Atlantic, he writes here in quotes, OpenAI Open AI, appears to be adopting a classic mode of technological solutionism, creating a problem and then selling the solution to the problem it created. This means that machine learning technology and others like it are creating a new burden for everyone. Now, in addition to everything else we have to do, we also have to take time for the labor of distinguishing between human and AI and the bureaucracy that will, will be built around it. And this is where, guys, this is where I have some issues here. I don't want more bureaucracy, especially in education. That's why education costs are so high. So now we have kind of a scare and probably a rightful scare on college campuses, especially if you're in the social sciences, about how much of your writing is you writing it. Also, like, look, you don't want an AI chatbot generating responses when that's why you're going to college. Now, of course, I think a lot of students more use this for research. And I've read pretty extensively on this over the last few weeks. I don't think a lot of students are plagiarizing. They're probably doing what I did where I wanted to know where the coldest place on earth was. Also, side note, you know how I talked about those statistics from um, like when I was talking about Social Security earlier? I actually asked Chatbot um, what year Social Security would run out. It's really useful for that. And I don't think everyone's just plagiarizing. But the thing is, is that as someone who's gone through a lot of education, 
they are terrified of plagiarism. That is like one of their biggest issues. And so they have these websites like turnitin.com. And now we have a whole other fear. It's not copying from the internet or copying other students' work. Now it's copying something that was not made by you. It wasn't just copied from the internet, but it's not technically what you made yourself. Opens up Pandora's box, in my opinion. So it's creating a whole new bureaucracy because, of course, you're now going to have to probably pay for a service. You're going to have to bring in people that can help look for this. And it's an issue, like I said earlier, that we didn't have a year ago. Now, there's something ironic here because now we're going to see this push probably from parents and politicians and all this stuff out there that are going to say we need teachers and institutions of education to, in quotes, respond to chat GPT. They need to address it. And going back to that Atlantic article, Bogus discusses how, Bogus, not Bogus, <laughs> discusses how forcing educators to identify and address this issue will be difficult. He writes in quotes here, Academic institutions and systems are even more stretched thin than they used to be. That work heaps atop an already overflowing pile of duties. Budget cuts. School teachers often crowdsource funds and materials for their classrooms. The coronavirus pandemic changed assumptions about attendance and engagement, making everyone renegotiate, sometimes weekly, where and when class will take place. Managing student anxiety, troubleshooting broken classroom technology, is now a part of most teachers' daily routine. That's not to mention all the emails and the training, uh, training modules and the self-service accounting tasks. Now comes ChatGBT and ChatGBT's flawed remedy. Look, I think ChatGBT, actually, like the one part of the article where it could help was when uh, Bogust says in quotes, uh, sorry, let me find it here. Teachers respond not to mention to all the emails, training modules, and self-service accounting tasks. Now, that's where ChatGBT could be useful. So I, I think there's a conversation about, look, academia is already bureaucratic. It's already a fucking nightmare. We don't need that to get worse. So I, I, I think as a society, and this is where good policymakers would come, but again, our president is approaching 80. The guy who wants to run against him is approaching 80. Most of our policymakers are approaching Haiti. Dianne Feinstein apparently is mentally collapsing. It's going to be really difficult to address these type of issues when we have a Congress like the Congress we have. And I don't want more bureaucracy. We have enough bureaucracy. I want to cut bureaucracy. And now we're going to probably have to worry about dealing with plagiarism. But is it even plagiarism when a non-sentient being creates ideas that probably can't be duplicated the same the next time? Because no one asks the same question. Like, I got an answer on ChatGBT by asking the question that I typed. If someone asked a similar question, but it was a little bit worded differently, would ChatGBT answer the same thing? I don't know, but we need smart people in government doing this stuff. And do you guys think Congress can do this? Because... I sure don't know. And I don't think so. <laughs> Anyways, you know, we've ran a little bit long. We're going to probably not talk too much about Haiti today. Probably save that for tomorrow's episode, to be honest. But what I will say, just as a little, um, maybe a little trailer or a little, like, hint about what we're going to talk about, is that they've arrested a lot of the suspects in the assassination of Moise. Mo Moise. <laughs> Moise, sorry. 
um, who was Haiti's president who was assassinated in the summer of 2021. And they brought four of the guys back to the U.S. And it looks like maybe Haiti's current president might have been involved in the assassination itself. And also at the same time, you have gangs just kind of taking over the monopoly of violence and force inside of Haiti to the point where a lot of people think that the gangs will probably make up the new government of Haiti, which is which is troubling on so many levels because that would create a state that is like monopolized in violence because it was initiated and created in violence. And we also then have the UN calling for some sort of special military operation. No, so far, not... <laughs> No one really is willing to do it except for Jamaica, as I'm seeing. It's a mess. And we'll talk about this more tomorrow. I, I think it's better to get into this tomorrow because this episode's running a little long. It's getting a little late for me. I need to get some things going here. I need to go on a run, my second run of the day, and then uh, go get some stuff for dinner. So. What I will say is that Haiti is a very volatile situation. It looks like crime bosses might be being absorbed by the state. And it looks like there was a lot of collusion about the assassination of Moisi. Anyways, I want to thank you guys for listening. Alex Kapitko here, centered from Reality Podcast. And as always, I appreciate your time. Please tell your friends. The numbers are growing, but I'd like them to grow more. And if you like listening... I'm sure you have someone in your orbit who thinks like you or wants to listen to me rant, so let them know. I would highly appreciate it. And uh, we're currently looking for sponsors here. Uh, I'm, I think that could be, could be something that happens this year. So anyways, you can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Podbean, whatever else there is.